the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning, everybody. I guess you know by now, this is not Bob France. This is, when you hear that music, you know who it is. Uh, that's Express Yourself by NWA. And everybody who knows me knows that's what I do. That's what I'm going to do today. Uh, I'm always happy to be in this studio, WHK, sitting in for my brother, Bob France, who always blesses me with a opportunity to sit behind this microphone. And I will do you justice, my brother. Thank you. Uh, in the studio with Johnny. What's up, Khalid? How you doing? <laughs> I'm excellent, man. Good. We're gonna have a little fun today, as always. We got a packed show. Uh, first up will be a gentleman who I know very well, who is doing some great things in the state of Ohio with the Americans for Prosperity on the policy initiative uh, tip, and we'll be talking to Ezra Escudero momentarily, uh, who is a coalition's director for the state of Ohio for Americans for Prosperity. So we're gonna be talking about. The backpack bill. We'll be talking about, you know, education, freedom, uh, and a couple of other little things. So um, we'll be we'll be doing that. The next hour, we have a couple of fantastic, dynamic women. Star Parker, the nationally renowned Star Parker of Cure Center for Urban Renewal, will be on with us. Which I'm, I was just with her a few weeks ago at a prayer breakfast in uh, Cuyahoga Falls. So it's fortuitous that I get a chance to talk to her again today. And uh, another young lady who's got a book out called The Arse Backwards. I can't say it out loud, but The Arse Backwards, Way to Move Forward. Her name is Celeste Duffy. She will be on at the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour. We also have, uh, coming up at the end of the show today, uh, Dave Freeman with the Convention of States in Ohio. We're going to be talking about what Convention of States is, how we all can get involved in changing the structure of our government. So that's coming up in the, the last hour. And another little treat uh, in in the, I could tell you about the podcast that I've been working on uh, the last couple of weeks. So that's another little special surprise. But first up, uh, a gentleman, again, who I know pretty well, I've known for a few years. He is super bright. He is with American for Prosperity, the Coalition's Director for the State of Ohio, Ezra Escadero. Good morning, Ezra. Are you there? Good morning, Khalid. Great to talk with you again. Oh, awesome, man. Good to have you. I know you you, you are. Are you in your car? Because I know you live in your car. <laughs> no, <laughs> thankfully, Friday mornings tend to be a little bit more low-key, give me a chance to reflect on the week. So, no, I am at my uh, home office. Oh, good, yeah. Uh, just you, outside of Columbus. You cover a lot of miles. <laughs> oh, my state. goodness. <laughs> Last week, 
Uh, it was over 800 miles traveling just in Ohio alone. Yeah. I, I love the state, and sometimes it gets a little bit much, too. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Ezra doesn't need GPS because he knows every highway, every road <laughs> in the state of Ohio. So <laughs> so good to have you. We, we, we got some things that uh, we want to talk about that you've been doing with AFP. What is your role with AFP, and what are you working on currently? Sure. Well, uh, my role with Americans for Prosperity Ohio is, uh, as you mentioned earlier, director of coalitions. And what that means is traditionally Americans for Prosperity is known for identifying stellar individuals who are really passionate about things affecting their community, our friends and neighbors across the state, working with them, helping them to acquire some additional leadership skills, grassroots organizing skills, and then building up communities of of like-minded individuals who are ready to take the action to uh, City Hall, school board, uh, the Ohio State House, and, and even the Capitol in Washington, D.C. So if that's our traditional model, as coalitions director, what I'm working on is partner organizations, groups that have their own agenda, their own membership, their own things that they're focused in on, but where we intersect, where we have common ground, we look for ways to partner, to work together for mutual benefit, and uh, multiply our impact by having not just Americans for Prosperity, but other local community organizations present, standing up and bringing their voice to bear in the public policy process. And speaking of public policy, there's, there's, and as people don't understand, it's really when we elect these officials, we want them to implement policies that benefit the people. People forget that. They get celebrate, uh, they, they get caught up in celebrations, winning elections, and then they kind of go home and forget that there's work to be done afterwards. So AFP, and I know very well AFP, we, you know, uh, have worked with them in the past. I've worked with them in the past. What is it that AFP is uh, in Ohio? Tell us about uh, the Buckeye Blueprint here in Ohio. Sure. Well, overall, for Americans for Prosperity Ohio, we have four policy areas that we're working on. Economic opportunity, criminal justice reform, health care, and education, K-12 education specifically, or, or as we like to call it, foundational education, right? Because... K through 12 is, is the very uh, starting point for anything else uh, our children may do, what we ourselves have done. So in that space of foundational education, there is uh, an overall vision that um, in this day and age, uh, parents and families should be able to find and secure the best education for their children. Um, students today have so many diverse gifts and abilities and interests, and with our technology, with our society, we have the ability to make sure that a children's education can even be personalized, individualized, right? We have so many different schools across the state, public and private and parochial, and, and even homeschooling that, that offer areas of focus specialization, be they in the arts, sports, the trades, STEM, um, all these different kinds of areas. And what we want to see is a model of education where where the students can go where they're going to be most fulfilled, 
where they're going to find the best training and education that, that, that fits them and is going to help them to thrive. And unfortunately, we're stuck in a system where, by and large, depending on your zip code, you're locked into one school district. And economically, you may be locked in to where you can't afford some of the non-public government-administered options. And our public policy agenda in education is about trying to change that, not to get rid of public schools. They play an important part, and they must stay, but they also need reform. And that's what the backpack bill is, is that first tiny step to start to do. House Bill 290 would provide every Ohio student, K-12, through with a state-funded education savings account, which can be used for authorized education expenses, which can include private school tuition or even homeschooling expenses, and starts to open that path towards a system where children can go where they're going to flourish, regardless of where you live, regardless of your income. Now, Ezra, I don't necessarily believe you when you say you want to end public schools because I read an article that said AFP wanted to close all the public schools and have them bulldozed. So you're trying to tell me that's not true? <laughs> that is absolutely not true. We believe that public schools have an important role to play, absolutely. But my goodness, the way public schools are administered today with a lot of radicals on school boards, and lawyers and lobbyists oh, yeah. getting in the mix, mm-hmm. that part needs to be bulldozed. <laughs> yes. But no, you know, if people come together and say, you know, we're going to vote in leaders that that set up school boards and school districts and, and the, the local, local district is actually going to run a school, then that's the voters' prerogative. So we, we absolutely support that. What we need is reform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, so I just want to let people know, AFP does not want to, have controlled demolitions of public schools. So just, <laughs> just, just for the record. <laughs> you like Thank it. you. Thank you for setting that straight. <laughs> now, health care is another policy initiative. Tell us about the personal option. Happy to do so. Um, you know, what we've seen over the years is attempts in Washington, D.C. To, to try to radically transform every facet of our healthcare system. And a lot of people say, you know, the marketplace is broken, right? In, in the marketplace where you find competition, things usually get better and providers are more responsive to customers. And the truth is the marketplace isn't broken. It's responding to the two biggest customers. According to recent studies, over 90% of healthcare expenses in this country are paid for by two sources insurance companies, and the government through Medicare and Medicaid. So when you look at, you know, you probably had experiences like this. I know I have where you feel you're being pushed through a system. You're just a number. Mm-hmm. Insurance companies don't want to talk to you. Um, you're, you're lucky after spending an hour and a half at the doctor's office to have gotten five visit, five minutes with an actual MD. Um What you're seeing is the result of a system that's responding to the two biggest customers, government and insurance. And what the personal option sets out to do, it's not a radical overhaul. It's not trying to blow any system up. And, in fact, it actually preserves the critical safety nets that we have in place today. But, my goodness, imagine if 
all of a sudden your relationship with your primary care provider, your doctor, your um, you know, advanced practice nurse was set up so that you are the customer. This isn't fantasy. It exists today. For myself, I just personally switched over to a direct primary care practice from a, a large university-run system, and I have my doctor's cell phone number. Using a secure app that protects my health information, I can text her any time of the day. Now, within reason, unless it's an emergency, I'm not expecting a reply at 3 in the morning, but pretty much between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m., I know she responds to me pretty quickly. And then we can decide, all right, can we just do an online telehealth visit or do I need to come in in person? What kind of uh, treatment might I need? Prescription might I need? It's, it's here today. But the problem is there are still a lot of policy barriers that get in the way of everyone being able to take this approach. And the personal option is all about trying to get rid of those barriers one by one. Excellent. And I, I, can, <clears throat> I can say that I've attended uh, uh, one of your events and very informative and people need to know more about it. So here's what we, we're going to do now. Uh, those of us who support and those of you who support uh, education reform, uh, the backpack bill, you can go to the Buckeye Blueprint website and sign the petition. Buckeye Blueprint uh, Ohio AFP, Ohio Buckeye Blueprint, sign the petition for the backpack bill. Get the legislators to move on it because they like to sit on things. It's being held up right now, uh, and we want to get it pushed forward. So go to BuckeyeBlueprint.com, sign the petition, and also you can go to AFP.org uh, and learn more about the personal option. And Ezra, do you have any events coming up uh, or information people can can get involved with uh, pushing these policy initiatives forward. we got about uh, two minutes. Sure. Well, real quick, uh, ASP.org is not our website. Um, but if you want to learn more about the personal option, you can go to personaloption.com to learn more about the personal option and, and the specific reforms we're calling for. Um, as to events, um, wow, I am in touch with members of Congress around the state uh, trying to schedule and set up events. I know we're really uh, enthused about the opportunity of getting together with Congressman Dave Joyce uh, there uh, in the east side of uh, Cuyahoga County and Lake County further east. Listen, if you have um, an interest in having one of our policy roundtables come together, contact your member of Congress. Let them know about the personal option and that Americans for Prosperity is a willing partner to bring together uh, these town hall meetings, so that the community can learn more. Uh, I'm hoping in October uh, we'll get something on the schedule with, with Congressman Joyce. Uh, next week, we've got an event in Lima with Representative Jim Jordan. And the week after that, down in Marietta by the river with Congressman Bill Johnson. Excellent. Um, Ezra Escudero with American for Prosperity pushing policy initiatives to help Ohioans because we have to take care of our state. We can't always be focused on the circus and in, in that's going on in Washington. There are things here in the state of Ohio that people can get involved with. Got to get active, got to get informed, uh, not distracted with all the, the nonsense and, and that we hear. It's about pushing policy. Winning elections is, is, is fine, but what are you going to do when you win these elections? It's all about getting policy done for the people 
Um, and that's what Americans for Prosperity does. So it's been a pleasure to have you on, Ezra. Hopefully one day we'll be able to talk again on these airwaves so you can let people know all the great things that you're doing with Americans for Prosperity. You got it, Khalid. Anytime. A true pleasure. God bless you and the work you're doing. And, uh, again, happy to uh, be here with you today. All right. Thank you, brother. That was Ezra Escudero of Americans for Prosperity Coalition's director for the state of Ohio. Got to get active, people. Got to take control. I'm Khalid Namar, and for Bob France, expressing myself today. Stick around. Welcome back to Always Right with Bob France. I am Khalid Namar in for Bob France. Ezra Escadero, Americans for Prosperity. Thank you for joining us last segment. Again, go to the BuckeyeBlueprint.com website. Sign a petition if you support the Backpack Bill and Education Freedom. It's a good choice. A lot of parents out there have been on top of this issue. They've been raising you-know-what in these school board meetings trying to get control of the minds of their kids which or not in the minds but the education which is trying to indoctrinate their kids so get on that website buckeyeblueprint.com and support the backpack bill sign the petition um speaking of mind game mind control i think we heard about this uh inflation reduction act and and and, and people who don't know politics I scream when they pay attention to the name that's on the front of a bill. It it is so it it it's, makes me crazy. Uh, this is the, the the old trick politicians put a nice little name. Oh, you know, let let's have a feed the puppies bill. You know, who who doesn't love puppies, right? But then they stick a bunch of crap in the bill that you, you probably know won't people won't agree with. And then when you vote against it, they run commercials telling everybody you hate puppies. This man voted to, to to kill puppies. It's like it's an old trick. So so they put Inflation Reduction Act first time they can spend money to, in inflation. But anyway, now they changed it to what is it? Climate, health, and tax law. They play games with language, and because they really think we're stupid, the federal government treats the public like we are all special needs. This is what they do. They think they can go to a press conference, put a nice name on a bill. Oh, really? It's going to reduce inflation? Oh, how much did it cost? Uh, $700 billion? Okay. Yeah. That, that, okay. Where do I sign? It, it, these people, I, I, I despise them. Taxes? I've been getting killed over the last few years in taxes. I just paid off a tax bill like for the last, well, two years. Uh. I got hit two years in a row and I had to pay these people off and go ahead. And as is, as is saying in the Bible, render Caesar, what is Caesar's you, you pay him to keep him out your life. But I am going to spend every bit of energy I have to try to choke this federal government from getting it. If, if you vote to give this government any more money, I'm sorry. Something is wrong with you. The government is a crackhead. The gov, you, the government is, is a crackhead. 
who comes to you every day asking you for more money. I they they need not another penny. They've wasted about eighteen. I don't know since since two thousand. I think they've wasted. I won't say eighteen. They wasted probably eight to nine trillion dollars over the last twenty years. They do not need another penny, but they're going to get it because they got the IRS agents to do it, and that's what people have voted for. As the saying goes, you get the government you deserve. But anyway. We got Steve Krause coming up. Krause in the house who will give us the rundown on all the state races. I love Steve Krause. He's a lot of fun. He's coming up. Next segment, I'm Khalid Namar. We're going to have a lot of fun today. You're going to learn a lot. Hopefully, I'll entertain you. My man Johnny on the wheels of steel. Yes, sir. <laughs> we'll be right back with Steve Krause in the house. Stick around. We're back on Always Right Radio. Khalid Namar and for Bob France. And who's in the house? Steve Kraus is in the house. How are you, brother? Wonderful. I am wonderful, brother. How are you? I love, I love the intro. I love the intro. Hey, man. It's good to always have you in the house because you always give good insight, good information. And you're always available on short notice. <laughs> Yeah, today especially, very short, but that's okay. <laughs> I love having you. So as I do when I have you on, you 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 you, you know this state, uh, you know the political landscape very, very well, so I'm going to just run some stuff by you, and you're going to break it down as, as you do in Steve Krause fashion. By the way, you can hear Steve Krause on Monday nights on the Monday Night Roundtable with George Satari, uh, which I've been a guest many, many times, and uh, so you can, you can check him out every Monday night on WHKW. Yep. So on a sister yep, station I, here from from seven to nine on twelve twenty sister station. Absolutely. So we got a lot going on here in Ohio um, with you know we have some tight races going on. Uh, let's start with the governor's race because we have a, a, a sticky situation where people really don't like Mike DeWine, but they also uh, there's not much healthy competition. You have Nan Whaley running against him as a Democrat, but you also have the independent guy. Uh, uh, Neil Peterson, who was basically disqualified. So tell us what you know about that. Well, uh, and you're right. Uh, our governor has is, is really lost a lot of favor uh, from the boneheaded things he did, like, uh, you know, suspending our primary election and shutting down the state and destroying a lot of businesses back in 2020. But uh, from what I understand, uh, Neil Peterson was disqualified, but then got qualified, but then I think, and I don't know this for a fact, but I think he withdrew. So I don't think he's in the race. He had a fairly good outside shot at uh, upsetting the apple cart because there's a lot of people that are not going to vote for DeWine. I mean, normally the, the conversation is, you know, uh, it's the less of two evils. 
But I know a lot of people that are going to leave the governor race blank. They're not going to vote for the Democrat, but they're not going to vote for DeWine either. Wow. Yeah, because Nan Whaley, I mean, she did such a great job, you know, down in Dayton. Why wouldn't we want to lose our governor? Yeah, sure. Uh. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure sure that having a governor like Nan Whaley is such a bad idea, because think about it. We're going to have a Republican Senate and a Republican House. So they're not going to let her get anything done. And it might actually galvanize the Republicans to uh, get rid of some of their other swamp creatures. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because there's plenty of, uh, I call it the Columbus sewer down there. Yeah. But uh, in day, it, it's just, we've got so much, you know, everybody looks at the Democrats and say how bad the Democrats are. And they are. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But the Republicans aren't any better. Mm-hmm. The Republicans still cheat the republicans still lie they tell you one thing and they do something else and they're addicted to the power just as much so you know we're 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 in a sad situation where we we're a republican state but we're not really a conservative state we are conservative but our government isn't yeah and that's usually the problem where the 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 leaders don't reflect the will of the people and uh right that's the problem so what about this race going on with uh and i've heard mixed reviews about nathan manning up in lorraine county uh, well in that district what do you know about nathan yeah well i used to sit next to nathan we were both freshmen down in the uh in the uh in session back in the house back in 2015 um i know he swapped musical chairs with his mom when she got term limited out started on term limits and how term limits don't work mm-hmm. and how they want to have a constitutional convention and now they're boasting on term limits term limits don't work if they work then why don't they work in columbus but say that as it is nate's a, a career politician he carries water for the establishment he's going to do whatever the wine and the uh, prevailing winds tell him to do i don't know if uh he's going to go down to defeat or not. I mean, I'm, I'm not even sure who he's running against. Who's, who's uh, his opponent? Yeah. Um, and I'm not either. I know that, uh, you know, and I just found out basically that his mom, you know, was in politics. I didn't know much about him. Um, <clears throat> so down in the Southern part of Ohio, we, we, there's a guy named Steve Shabbat. And uh, do you know much about Shabbat? I know Steve. I don't know much about his race. I can talk to you, though, about J.R. Majewski up here running against Captor. Mm-hmm. Please do. He's going to kick. He's going to kick her butt. He is kicking her butt. That's the number one race nationwide. I had a good sit down with him about a month ago, and everybody's pining for him up on Capitol Hill. I mean, all the different groups from the uh, um, from the Trumpers to the uh, Swamp. Uh, he had he had McCarthy here last week. And uh, he was out with Jim Jordan, and you know, there's there's a lot of interest. And in that race, the polling that I saw not too long ago said that it was a fifty-one forty-nine, and that people are pretty much decided. And he was the fifty-one, so Captor's got a real race on her hands. And uh, this is the first time ever that she's really in the in the throes of getting defeated. So J.R. Majewski is the one to watch. Uh, that could be a real upset. She's been there for like 40 years or something, 42 years, long time. So a lot of people have mixed feelings about the Senate race with J.D. Vance. A lot of people feel like, hey, I don't even know this guy. He just parachuted in here on Trump's coattails. He didn't really do any uh, groundwork here in the state. He's not invested 
he just kind of, uh, you know, got deep pockets, Peter Thiel. And so I don't know. Some people are going to hold their nose and vote for him. Some people are not. So what do you feel about J.D. Vance? Well, I met J.D. Vance out at Turning Point USA at a donor's uh, weekend retreat. I invited him on the show. Saw him again. I think George did at one of these other events and invited him on the show. Of course, he said he would come on. He never did. I never saw him at any ground, uh, um, you know, like uh, grassroots events. Um, he got the Trump endorsement, and obviously he got the nomination. He won the primary. I think a lot of people are going to hold this, their nose and vote for him. Um, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Liz Cheney. You know, he dropped into the state, but he's not really connected with the people. I got an invite here just the other day. He's going to be down there with uh, Governor DeWine and Kasich. I mean, not Kasich, but uh, Houston and that crew, which you know, he's campaigning with them, too. So I guess that's what you have to do. But, uh, uh, you know, he's an okay guy. I guess he's maybe going to be better than Portman. I hope so. But, uh I, I, I mean, he he just he isn't a people person like JD or J.R. Majewski. He's out there pounding the the sand. I mean, he is beating feet to 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 win this race, and I don't see JD Vance. I don't see the fire in his belly. And and that's what people just don't. I don't even know if he's made any major appearances up in this, like in Kyle County. I don't know. Maybe he has. People feel like they just don't know the guy, and. For, for you to just come in here with a billionaire from California, I'm wondering, what is Peter Till's interest in buying our senators? He's, he has money, if I'm not mistaken, in the Arizona race. He's put millions of dollars into that race down there, and now he's putting money into our state. So I'm wondering, what is his agenda, and why is he interested in buying U.S. senators? Right, right. And then you get a look at people like Mike Gibbons, who invested yes. $16 million because he cares about the state of Ohio. Yes, and you look at Jim Renacci, who invested his own money, too, for the governor's race, because he cares about the state of Ohio. And, you know, it's really it's really sad that in the governor's race that we had that uh, Joe Blystone as a as a um, the third leg of the stool that uh, upset that race. You know, these people need to stay engaged because just, you know, 16 million dollars that Mike Gibbons spent could have been well spent in a lot of grassroots efforts to yeah. really change the landscape in the school board races. And we need these people to stay engaged. J.D. Vance, he, he, didn't, he just got outside money. He just parachuted in. That's why I say he's kind of like Liz Cheney in Wyoming, you know. And uh, I, I don't know that he's going to rule like she did or, or conduct himself like that. I hope not. But uh, he isn't connecting to the people, or at least he hasn't yet. Well, my only concern with any senator, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you get to Washington? Are you just going to go and vote for stupid spending bills like the rest of them? Or are you going to go and come go there and, and, and shrink whatever nonsense that's going on? If you're not going to go there to, to say no, then I, I pretty much, uh, you know, I'm going to write you off as just like the rest of them because they, they signed dumb spending bills. Like I think 16 Republicans mm-hmm. back that initial bill back better BS bill a few months ago, Rob Portman on the way out the door, you know, Rob Portman doesn't care. He's retiring Mitt Romney, who I don't know who this guy is. I'm sorry. I ever voted for him, you know, and then Anthony Gonzalez 
couldn't I think he's a crossing guard uh somewhere in uh in Conshocton. I don't know where the guy is in right now. You know it, <laughs> it it's insane. And and here's what happens. It's the money. They go they go up there and they get bought. I mean, Joe Manchin just changed his vote. You know who changed Joe Manchin's vote to give us this disastrous uh uh what's what it called? It's a in, inflation Production Act, not inflation <laughs> reduction. It's a production because it's going to produce a lot. Joe Manchin got bought off by Bill Gates. Bill Gates was bragging about it. Bill Gates called him up and probably said, how much is it going to take to get you to change your vote? Wow. Wow. And that's what they're going to do. I don't, I don't think Portman's going away. I think Portman's just going to his next job, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. And he's probably going to join a banner in the marijuana business. <laughs> Because they they they, yeah, that's what we, they act like they were high anyway when they were you know anyway <laughs> so we got yeah, about well, we gotta, it's, it's not about keep taking care of the people and no. that's the problem we got too many too many that are in it for themselves and in it for their career and when you was asking about Nathan Manning and Gail Manning that's a classic example classic example of why term limits don't work and that's why we don't want to have a constitutional convention if I can throw in one thing. We do not want to do that here in Ohio because those yahoos, people like Joe Manchin, people like Chuck Schumer, people like uh, Nancy Pelosi, they're going to be the ones that get to set up the convention of states and organize it. And then when you go into the convention, the convention is the sole authority on what gets passed and what doesn't get passed and what rules change and what doesn't change. And in our first and only constitutional convention, they were only supposed to amend the Articles of Confederation, and instead our founding fathers wisely decided to scrap the whole thing and write a new constitution. Well, do you want Chuck Schumer to be the new father of our constitution? They already have <laughs> some written. Do you really trust these guys to sit down there and actually do some a deliberative body and do something smart? Well, I don't trust them. I tell you what, you might want to stick around to the end of the show because a guy you may know, Dave Freeman's going to be on, and we're going to be we're going to be talking about the convention of the states. So, uh, stick around to the end of the show, and maybe one of the days I'll have you guys have a debate on this issue. That should be interesting. Uh, but we're going to be talking about to Dave Freeman at the end of the show on the convention of the states and what they're trying to do here in Ohio. So, uh, stick around. But thanks again for being available, brother. As always giving us insight on what's going on in the state of Ohio with Krauss in the house. <laughs> Thanks, brother. God bless. Take care. God bless. Steve Krauss loves love Steve. Rowe, one of my favorite guests. You can catch him again on Monday nights, uh, 7 to 9. I believe you said. I believe so. Yep. 7 to 9. 1220 WHKW, sister station. Khalid Namar, in for Bob France. Stick around. More to come. You're back on Always Right Radio with Khalid Namar. I am in for Bob France on this Friday. I'm feeling good. Johnny's got me in a good mood. 
Yes, sir. Great Friday. <laughs> great Friday today. Yes. So, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm a guest on, uh, you know, I've been a guest on a few different uh, platforms. Obviously, I sit in here a few times a year. I sit in, uh, or at least I'm a guest on a couple of the podcasts. And one of them I've been involved with recently it's a pretty interesting podcast run by a former Clevelander. He's transplanted in Colorado. His name is Kane Schmidt, and he has a uh, podcast called The Modern Method. So it's a very intelligent uh, podcast where economics, world affairs are discussed, you know, policy, you know, all kinds of interesting topics. So I joined uh as a guest a few weeks ago, I've done a couple episodes and uh, decided to have Kane on for a bit to talk about it and promote the uh, newest one we've done recently. Uh, Kane, are you there? Yes, I am, Tlaid. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Uh, good to have you because, um, you know, I've had a lot of fun on your podcast the last couple of episodes we've done, where I think the last one we talked about uh, something that's uh, near and dear to your heart in Colorado, the marijuana legalization and uh, some of the effects of it economically and socially. We've talked about that. So talk about the modern method uh, and how did you start it and what did you wanted to accomplish when you started it? Sure. Well, uh, first I'd like to just thank you for having me on. This is a great opportunity to be able to talk about this. And um, I wouldn't say marijuana is necessarily near and dear to my heart. I don't enjoy it. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean I, it. I know how that sounded. I listen to that podcast so they know that. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm sorry. I've I've been like in terms of the, the legalization of it in Colorado. Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. You know, get the impression that you're like Snoop Dogg. You know. Oh no, no, I totally understand. <laughs> so the the modern method is actually founded between me and a uh, and a friend of mine. His name is Jesse Krizek, and we co-host the podcast together. He was out last week, so you and the week before you didn't get to meet him, but you will next week. So. Really, the main goal of the modern method is to relate current events to topics in history so that we can learn from the past and try to create a better future for ourselves. So our mission is to be a place where we can communicate across the political aisle and social spectrum and have a productive conversation about some of the biggest issues that we run into today. And you'll see that a lot in our content that we produce. So you had mentioned last week we talked about marijuana legalization, and it's not always as fun as that. Sometimes, well, I wouldn't say it's not as fun. It's always fun. It's just not usually at that speed. So previously we had discussed um, the economic impact that we have from the war in Ukraine and the different issues that we have uh, going on with China right now and their pursuit of Taiwan and Hong Kong, what that means for us, and really how that affects everyone back home in a real way. So yep. we like to have people just like yourself or um, just regular people with maybe some more credentials just to come on and, and have an honest discussion about these things. Yeah, and I've written about a lot of these things. I, you know, I've covered or, should I say, you know, studied world affairs for 30 years, uh, traveled a bit, done some international business. So this is a good outlet for me to talk to you uh, and to talk to the people about, you know, what's going on in the world, how it affects us, and uh, – going forward what it means to our economy so that that's been a, a lot of fun so uh this is a very short segment i wanted to get you in there to talk about it how can people listen to it and uh what are what are your platforms that you're available on yeah so right now we're on spotify that's our that's our main streaming platform but you can also catch us on apple podcasts or even google Podcasts or anchor if you're familiar with it okay excellent yeah i have a lot of fun with it 
uh, I, I love the fact that you, you know, you invite me on because, uh, you know, my background is in a lot of different areas, but particularly economics, world affairs, history is what I love. And uh, we'll be talking again later on today about some constitutional issues. Uh, hopefully I can bring some of that to the Modern Method podcast, Kane. And thanks for joining me today. Uh, when I get back in this seat, I'm going to have you back on for a more detailed discussion on some issues. And uh, But in the meantime, people tune in Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, listen to The Modern Method with Kane Schmidt and myself, and uh, you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy it. Thanks, Kane, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me on. Have a great day. All right. Thank you. All right. Khalid Namar. And it was Kane Schmidt of the Modern Method Podcast. We'll be right back. back live man time is flying i'm kylie namara on always right radio and for bob france that first hour was great ezra escadero of fp steve kraus of the morning night roundtable kay schmidt zen the modern method podcast now we're getting into some real stuff because we have a nationally renowned thinker speaker author She's a founder of Center for Urban Renewal Education. Uh, Star Parker is in the house. How are you, Star? I am doing very well. And it was so good to be with you just a few weeks ago trying to solve all the problems in the world. Did we do a good job, you think? Yeah. Oh, it was it was terrific. I'm still reading <laughs> I'm still reading through a lot of the material that was at the uh, uh Cure Clergy Network in in uh Cuyahoga Falls with Pastor Moss and McGuire, Pastor McGuire was a terrific experience there with uh, some of the great minds that were from all over the state. And when I heard you were going to be on the show, I said, oh, no, keep star. I definitely want to talk with her because I've been watching you for quite some time. I saw you speak in 2012 at the World Church here in Cleveland. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's a good memory there. Yeah. I've I've been been watching you for a while. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I better be good. (laughs) I'm going to keep on the straight and narrow. That's one of the um, beauties of freedom is that we get to choose who we're going to serve. And when you decide to serve the Lord, you really need to keep on that path because others are watching you to make sure that uh, you can do it. Because if we can, then they can. And and I think that's important. So thank you for um, expressing that. I've been a good example as I've worked on these anti-poverty issues. As you know, and many others know that, you know, I didn't start out just saying, wow, let's just be good people. I actually bought all the lies of the left that we couldn't even control our own impulses, that, you know, we were poor because others were rich or that my problems were somebody else's fault or that, you know, I, I shouldn't mainstream anyway because America was so racist. And in 
buying all of those lies of the left, I really got lost very young in life in criminal activity and drug activity and sexual activity in and out of abortion clinic after clinic, and then on welfare. So, you know, once God got a hold of my heart and I had a Christian conversion, I just totally changed my life and found out that, yes, we can as individuals self-govern. Yes, we do have opportunity to make choices, and yes, we can choose good. We can choose this day to serve the Lord. So that's my life, and my work is to now dismantle the welfare state, because government is not God. Government should not be in the charity work, because that belongs to God. And what we've done to destroy people's lives, especially those most vulnerable, to trap them in a mentality that they can't self-govern is unacceptable. So I have cure to help reverse those laws so people can, uh, you know, live good lives. Now, Cure is uh, out of Washington, D.C., Center for Urban Renewal mm-hmm. Education. And you started this, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm not correct, in 1995? Yeah, it started as a result of welfare reform. After, you know, my business was destroyed during the 1992 Los Angeles riots, you know, after Christian conversion, I went to school, I got a degree, I started a business, and it was doing well. But in 92, after the Rodney King riots, I began to focus on social change and social policy. Uh, and so I consulted on federal welfare reform in the 90s. When we got that done, you know, the whole 5 million women and 9 million children that y- you can self-govern, and here's a few rules on how, work requirements, time limits, and other things, I knew that we needed to also say what should be done, because when you're talking to a community of people that the left has kept all truth from, uh, they need to learn. They have to be educated. They have to know uh, what is good and what is evil. Uh, when, you know, moral relativism has taken over our society, it's very difficult for people to really determine, well, what is good? What is right? What is then qualifies for wrong? Maybe down deep inside you might feel something, but if the law says, hey, it's okay to go kill your kids, you might do that. Hey, the law says it's okay to go uh, take other people's money and, and redistribute it to other people that really have the ability to work, then people are going to do that. So I started Cure to focus on what we should be doing. If we told people what they shouldn't be doing, let's tell them what they should be doing. Let's look at health policy from the right. What should we be doing when people cannot afford their own health care? Their boss doesn't uh, get them health care, uh, and uh, and the, the government programs are just totally inconsistent with the founding of this country. What should we be doing in education policy? Obviously, what the government does is not working uh, anywhere. Uh, you know, some thought it used to work in the suburbs, but you have no evidence, and now that parents have looked inside of what they've been indoctrinating even the suburban children with, it's unacceptable. Uh, So what should we be doing? And that's one area that we know uh, school choice matters. What should we be doing in health and policy, and what should we be doing to stimulate uh, the harder parts of our society? And the whole issue of self-governance is is what, you know, I'm a a, a constitutionalist. I go... And with my best friend, Dan Messina, who's probably listening, we've been out in schools, uh, colleges, trying to educate young people about the Constitution and the concept of self-governance. What I found is people are seem to be opposed to that concept, particularly when it's coming from a black person. When you talk against the Democrat Party and you talk about self-governance, people tend to, to look at you as if you've just cursed at them. Why, why do you think right. that is? Well, two reasons. One, they've been convinced that these philosophies of the founders are uh, and the brilliance that they 
uh, developed in this country is an error. They think that the country is is, is faulted. Uh, but number two, self-governing is hard. I mean, when you have to depend on you and make proper choices, it, it's 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 difficult. You have to really think about life, and it collectivism is just easy. Socialism is easy. You wonder why so many people buy the idea of socialism, not just in our country but abroad, because it's easy just to sit there and waste your life away, and somebody else pay all the bills. Um, so they're, you know, glad that you're doing that. But yes, you have a mentality now in our young people, uh, that uh, college students, that they really don't even have the ability to self-govern, and they don't even want to self-govern. And so, one of the beauties of what happened in the Supreme Court over the summer, uh, we keep hearing only about the abortion law, but the school law changed too. You know, that win that came out of the court for what happened up in Maine where, you know, they were trying to, this one family was trying to get their children to be able to go to Christian school, and the state stood in the way. They sued them, and they won at the Supreme Court. That money can follow children to any school a parent wants, that this is unconstitutional to trap certain kids in certain schools. So now with that win, uh, we can reverse that culture that you're talking about to where kids in the K-12 through will begin to learn concepts of self-governing. But remember... Even George Washington said, in order to live as a free society and what developed out as America, uh, you have to have a, a morality. And morality is a religious philosophy, and they cannot be separated. So that's the great war that we're dealing with, the cultural war, is that people want secularism and big government because secularism and big government are easier than believing in a worldview that says you must make good choices. Yes, and, and that seems to be what, well, one of the things my mother's always told me growing up was that uh, if the first society you have to conform to is your home, and if you can't function in that environment, then you're going to have a rough time outside the home. And I worked in corrections, and I saw that every day where people who were never, yeah. ever, uh, socialized to a home and structure. And many right. of these kids, it's not their own fault that they were born into these situations. But right. after a certain age, no one can educate you and no one can discipline you or police you. So therefore, the state has to take over, and that's the biggest thing. So when it comes to cure, what are some of the messages, messages that you talk to, uh, that you preach to young women in particular? Because men, we talk we talk a lot about men. And we don't focus enough on the young women who are participating in these things. And since you've been there, what are some of the things you tell them directly? Well, if you're talking direct one-on-one, then, of course, ending abortion and by, and, and this lie that women don't have the ability to, to, to control their sexual impulses. When women wait, men work and marry. So it is in the women's lap to reverse the trends that we've seen, because you're exactly right. As family has collapsed due to the welfare state, you have now too many people that are out there doing whatever they want to do uh, sexually, which then lands us as a society in very difficult situations, not just with abortion and trying to end that, but also with single parenting, where we see poverty entrenched is in single-headed households. So you're exactly right. The rules of how to live are done in households. This is where we pass our virtues, husbands married to the mother of their children. So you start having that collapse, and yes, people can get very lost 
And the, and then, yeah, we corrected on the other side. I remember hearing one pastor say, you know, there are like five Ps uh, involved in socializing ourselves so that we can live as a free people. One are the parents. You're absolutely right. But if there are no parents, the next place is the pastor. Well, if the pastor is corrupted and, or, or society is trying to push him in a dark corner and, and, and delegitimize the role of the church in a community, then you have problems. The third place is the principal. The principal is corrupted and part of a union and doesn't even care about the students, cares more about their retirement, then you're going to have a challenge because the children now are not going to be able to be socialized outside of that home that may have been broken with people that don't go to church. And the next step is the politician. Well, if you have the politician who represents the most broken of our communities, all 8,700 of those communities, mm-hmm. um, preaching that big government is the only answer, preaching that the, the, the country is racist so you'll never be able to make a living anyway, you're never going to be able to get out of your dilemma, then yes, the next step is the policeman. Because when you are told that life won't work for you ever, you get really angry, really frustrated, and you take it out on somebody. So what does CURE do, which is your question? We try to reverse all those laws that have come out of the welfare state, the great society, all the way back to the 60s, everything, affirmative action, the multiculturalism, everything, race-based, everything, gender-based, has to be removed from our society so people can live free, so that they can understand that, yes, we do have the ability to self-govern. That means getting the government out of education so that you don't have unionized um, leaders telling these kids that their lives don't matter. That way you have parents again, because now they can't depend on the nanny state. So you're going to start seeing um, uh, that develop as well. So that's where CURE works. We change laws. We work on changing laws. We have a clergy network as our constituents, similar to how uh, the Chamber of Commerce has businesses as their constituents. And we pressure these politicians here in Washington, D.C. to do the right thing, which is to dismantle all of the government interventions in places it shouldn't be. Well, speaking speaking of dismantling, and I, I'm I'm a, I'm a little radical when it comes to dismantling things. I've I've, also, I've often fantasized about having a chainsaw and lobbying off the Department of Education, uh, <laughs> and the, and the Commerce Department, the most lobbied government department there is is the Commerce Department, which by definition means it's the most corrupt. But one I don't know. <laughs> Is that true? Uh, I always thought the health, health and human services was because when you think about big pharma and you think about yeah. uh, many of those interests. But you're right, lobbyists. Uh, you'd hire lobbyists too if they came up to your industry. I have no problem with lobbyists. I, but how you take apart that Department of Education is you make sure that the politicians stop voting for their budgets. Yes. So we don't need to change the laws if we can get it. <laughs> it can be organized, I think. I'm hoping that it doesn't have to get to uh, the tactics of the left, which is the burn down cities to get their way or to have summers of rage um, because a, a decision didn't go their way. Let's hope that we're still civilized enough that we can battle in the voting booths. And in that voting booth, we hire politicians that are going to represent freedom and personal responsibility. Well, I said I was a little radical when it comes to that. I mean, it was just a fantasy, you know. <laughs> it's a fantasy. Uh-oh. Maybe we do need you out here in Washington, D.C. I think it's one of the reasons that people hired Donald Trump, is they were just sick of it. They're like, you know what, we need somebody to go out there with a brick and just throw it against the wall, as one businessman said, has to be done often in business uh, to where you just things are just not working. Uh, and you have to find a different path uh, to get to what you want in business. Of course, it would be an excellent product, but in government, it would be an excellent um, a society. Yeah, and and so we have a we have a ooh, I'm sorry, a little 
little glitch there. We have like five minutes left. So what I want to do, I want to give you the floor. Talk about what Cure is doing right now and what policy initiatives you're pushing and what is it that you want our listeners to know about Cure and how they can get involved, what you're doing. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, CurePolicy.org has three programs. We have a policy program, as I just defined, uh, to just remove the governmental barriers so people can live free. So we look at all laws that come out of uh, anti-poverty programs, which is are massive. And in fact, it's over a trillion dollars a year now uh, that we're spending in this war on poverty, uh, $24 trillion since it started. And nothing has changed in terms of poor people uh, in their lives. Uh, we're still at 25% of the society poor. But what we did do is dismantle family and entrench uh, poverty. So and it's now generational. So we work on that through our policy uh, program. We also have a media program. Uh, that media program includes a blackcommunitynews.com daily news program for our uh, our pastors in particular. Um, we have a weekly television show that I'm the host, Cure America with Star Parker. We have a, a weekly column uh, that people get to read so they can get a regular diet of real news from the right, news that sorts through all of the noise to find truth. And then we have a clergy program. It's a very selective and private um, network, association, if you will, of pastors all across the country who are working in these hard zip codes trying to really correct them, trying to work with the folks that are there, trying to work the nonprofit uh, world so that people can fix their lives. Uh, that network, I think we have about 120 that are very energized and focused. We have probably 600 on that list right now, and we have an annual conference for them, a summit. So if people want to help uh, right now, a scholar or pastor, they can. It's about $1,500 per pastor. and we, uh, Many of them dig in their pocket to try to get there. It's a very low fee, but it's a three-day session and regular diet of information that they're not going to hear from their politician, from their uh, or, or from their um, their news sources. So we try to get really deep into uh, how to break the cycle of poverty. That comes up this year, the first week of October. So if anyone wants more information, whether they're pastor and want to attend or they want to help finance it, then they can go to curepolicy.org, just curepolicy.org. They'll find it on the Internet if they put my name, Star Parker, in as well. You know, and I'm going to try to be at the October uh conference because i had such a great time uh and learned a lot at the prayer breakfast in the october conference i'm definitely gonna try to be there i always like to come to dc okay uh the 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 the, we got a a couple minutes but i i I don't like the the uh the cbc because they throw out these words and they talk about underserved communities well you're their representatives so if they're underserved (laughs) the, the problem is you I always crack up at that when I hear these underserved communities. Well, you're the right. you're serving them, so you're not doing your job. Right. We do have distressed zip codes that we uh, it, thank God for Donald Trump that he helped focus on that um, through the leadership of of Senator Tim Scott to get us to where now we have an absolute identification of who really needs help in our society, and so we're working on ideas very closely on Opportunity Zone initiatives to figure out how to now flip communities. In fact, Cure has hired on someone just to look at building a model, a pilot program on how to flip a zip code uh, that's in our distressed communities. Because you're absolutely right. That politician that represents that neighborhood is at fault. They are not doing their job. They're not given the information needed. They come from a worldview that's actually inconsistent with that person taking their lives and, and making something of their lives. They sit out here and cry about 
somebody else's fault, somebody else's fault, somebody else's fault. And, of course, it seems that somebody else is always the, the rich white Republican. Well, how is it the rich white Republican's fault that your community is broken? They're not even in your community. So you're absolutely <laughs> yes. right. One of the jobs that I'm hoping uh, happens when, with the pastors, once their lights come on, that this is unacceptable, that one of their jobs then would be to convince their members to stop voting these people into Washington, D.C. There are a 100 progressives sitting over there in, um, at, at the, in the Capitol Hill, and not one of them really has any idea on how to turn these things around. They think the answer is secularism and big government. The more they can take from somebody else, the more they fill their pockets, and the less change that happens in the actual communities that they represent. Well, like my mom used to always say, everywhere I go, there I am. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Your mom sounds really wise. She can tell you a lot of good stuff. (laughs) My mom's a minister, so, yes. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, listen, I want to connect with you because uh, there's some things that I'm doing. I want to come to uh, your October conference Star Parker, it's been great to have you today. I'm going to have our producers give you my information if you want to hang on. Uh, I, I love having you. I want to definitely connect with you and have you again to talk to as many people as possible. Cure America, Star Parker, it's been a blast to have you. Well, thank you, Khalid. And I will see you in October here at our Cure Clergy. Yes, you policy. will. We got. We get actually, I'll be there. You got Celeste Duffy, who's wrote a book on poverty. She's in your area. She's going to be my next interview. I'm going to. I would look, love to connect you with her as well. She's wrote a book on on poverty and and trying to share a lot of the same messages you have. So thanks again, and I will see you in October, okay. Star Parker. All right. Bye. All right. Loved it. We'll be right back. Celeste Duffy's on the other side. She's another bright, intelligent young lady out of D.C. area. She has a book called The Arse Backwards Way to Move Forward. It's not the arse. Um, We're back on the other side. Celeste Duffy, stick around. So you're still thinking of me Just like I know you should I cannot give you everything You know I wish I could Always Right Radio on The Answer. Welcome back to Always Right Radio. Khalid Namar in for Bob France. And this song, Young, Dumb, and Broke. <laughs> Good stuff. I, yeah, it's by my namesake. His name is Khalid also. Uh, I, I, I picked that song because uh, my friend Celeste Duffy has this book she just wrote, which uh, it's, it's pretty hilarious. It's a tongue-in-cheek look at misery and poverty. It's called The Arse Backwards Way to Move Forward. Uh, it it's 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 a very funny book that tells you how to how to be poor if you want to be. It's like a how to guide, totally written in with with irony and humor. Celeste Duffy, who's in Washington D.C. area, is on the line. How are you, Celeste? Good morning, Khalid, and thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> Absolutely, I like the the song choice uh, because it's like yeah, young, dumb, and broke. That's kind of uh, <laughs> what the. <laughs> <laughs> what the overarching theme is for a lot of people and uh your book can tell them how to how to how to do that, right? Oh yeah, I have a it's it's actually a guidebook. Um it's written backwards and um instead of showing people how to find wealth and fulfillment, um my book tells people exactly what to do to become poor and miserable. And you don't have to be young. You can do it at any age. 
<laughs> yes, and it's called the <clears throat> Arse Backwards Way to Move Forward. Uh, a tongue-in-cheek guide to misery, poverty and misery. And, uh, it, of course, I had to substitute the word arse. I could say ass? Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Johnny. Uh, the ass backwards way to move forward. Uh, funny book. And so when you first came up with this idea, you wanted to write about poverty, but you decided, hey, I can't do it the traditional way. How did you come up with this way to write it backwards? Well, um, it's, it's sort of a funny story. Um, I was at the time um, co-hosting a local radio show in Washington, D.C., and um, some of the you know topics and guests uh, that we would have on the show were a lot about people who were looking to improve systems. Uh, they wanted to do a lot of work improving um, all types of systems in, uh, in the society, and I was always struck by the fact that no one really thought that the best way to change the world or to change their city, change their community, was to actually begin changing themselves. And so I started looking at behaviors and and what behaviors people do that actually make them poorer. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and I think that sometimes that gets through to people a little quicker. Like, um, you know, I if I was going to tell people, you know, how to stay out of jail, for instance, I would probably do it that way because traditionally telling people just, you know, trying to scare them or give them, you know, the the, the what not, you know, to do kind of speech, you, you kind of just do it with a little bit of irony because you hold their attention. Um, because I used to work in the county jails, many people know, and I tell people, you know, not stuff to scare them, but you just tell them what it's really like. And it, this book makes you laugh. I laughed out loud at certain parts of it, particularly when you're talking about college debt and the trap uh, of, of uh, college debt and how, to, how how it keeps you poor. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's interesting, and that inter- uh, incidentally is somewhat of a controversial chapter, um, because there are still many people who believe um, that college is an automatic rites of passage into the middle class, and that can be true. But for many, it isn't, and it, it isn't because of the type of and the course of study that people choose. If you choose to study um, fields that are low-wage paying jobs but take a great amount of debt to um, complete that study, then you're definitely um, likely to end up in a deficit for years. I um, had a friend, as you know, Washington, D.C., um, almost every third person here is a lawyer. And I had a friend uh, who was a lawyer, and he was talking about buying a house. And I had uh, bought a house about two years earlier. And he was like, I'm hoping in about three years, I'll be able to buy a house. And I said, Oh, what, you know, what are you waiting on? And he said, my debt to income ratio is too low. Now, again, he had a a little bit of time and for him that may have been worth it to wait uh, an additional few years before he could purchase a home and, um, and, and be able to do that. However, many people uh, take out exorbitant loans and end up in, in very bad financial situations to participate in, in low-wage earning jobs. And, and um, again, as like I said, there was a couple of things that made me laugh out loud. And the one uh, part where you talked about the chapter about having children. 
Okay, yeah. Out of out of wedlock, you talked about that in particular. So that that, that kind of made me laugh the way that you <laughs> had written this part of the chapter. Talk about that. Well, I say in that chapter, I say um, you need to have um, your children early and often. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's an absolute recipe for poverty, <laughs> is, is having children early and often. I mean, we know, um, we know antidotally just, um, from people that we may know, and we also know because this has been studied. So this is not new information that generally you need to wait um, until marriage and graduate high school and be a full earning and thriving and emotionally developed adult um, to have, you know, to, to have children in a way that's going to be very good to you. But if you want to be, you know, 14 and, and and have a baby. Uh, the odds are not good that you're going to end up rich. <laughs> now, you, you, and, and what I like about it, toward, toward the uh, end of the book, you talked about uh, becoming a, a member of the liberal elite. Dig into that a little bit. Okay, so the the liberal elite in my book is is a fictitious group of of people. However, if they were to exist, the question that I ask is what type of people would they be and what would they be doing? And what I determined is that they would be a bunch of people who who operated um, from trauma, that these would be people that walked around the country um, trying to uh, mitigate all pain from anyone at all times. And they have a very delusional understanding of life. So they're constantly... Um, trying to become part of institutions, usually in the leadership of government or institutions um, that have great impact on society. And from that, and from that post, they want to try and enact policies or make rules or develop philosophies that they hope will make everyone escape any kind of pain. And they don't realize that they're in a failing position because that's an absolute impossibility. And that there is something, um, pain is, although no one wishes anyone to be hurt, but making mistakes, learning from your mistakes, having difficult situations in your life, learning how to resolve them and, and how to, you know, end up better from them is something that's very useful for, for human flourishing trying to live a life absent of pain and focusing on that as opposed to trying to learn how to handle and manage yourself in difficult situations is also a recipe for poverty. Celeste Duffy is my guest, author of The Ask Backwards Way to Move Forward, a tongue-in-cheek guide to poverty and misery. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm afraid, Celeste, that this may backfire. I think the the Democrat Party may adopt this in their platform because okay. <laughs> <laughs> this book is too good. It's it's, it's funny. Um, so we were talking about uh, when you define poverty in the very beginning of the book. You you, you define poverty, and you and, and you had a very interesting uh, definition of it. And I want you to share that with our listeners. Yes. So I define poverty as a spiritual deprivation and lack. And um, the spiritual deprivation and lack leads you to uh, make poor choices and behave poorly. And those poor choices and bad behaviors 
uh, what erode wealth. And the reason I wanted to define poverty that way is because I want people to understand that poverty is not a financial distinction. It is not, it has nothing to do with money. It has to do with choices. And good choices are usually rewarded. Sometimes in money, but they're rewarded in a wealthy life, a wealthy, healthy, well-balanced, well-managed life, which also includes money, but it's not exclusive to money. So you could be someone that has a lot of money, and I write about this in the book. You could be someone that has a lot of money but makes very bad choices, and that money can go away, but your life is robbed of the healthy wealthiness that it could have had. So it's your choices that really should be the focus because the money will come, but what you choose and what you focus on and how you behave, those are the things that are either going to draw money to you or they're going to take money away from you. So, so if you have a young person who reads this book, say you're 18 years old, what is it that you want them to learn after they read this book? Besides the choices that they make, what is it, what impact uh, would you want this to have on someone, say, 18 who reads your book? Well, I'd like uh, young people um, to realize that life is, is not waking up each day. Life is actually something that has to be set up. And if you if you have an idea of what kind of life you want to live, so that's the first thing young people need to be asked is what kind of life do you want to live and really think about it. Think well into the future. What kind of life do I want to live in a home? Would I like to live in a city? Do I want to be married? Do I want children? If I have children, what kind of school do I want them to go to? What kind of uh, part of town is would be safe for my children to play outside and, 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 you know, to have a good life? You have to think of those things. And if you if you determine what kind of life you want to live, then it has to be set up. So your question to yourself is, if that's what I want, what do I have to do? How do I have to behave to get those things? In my book, I've done the work for you. If you decide you want to have a poor life and you want to be miserable, I give you nine things to do to ensure that you'll be poor and miserable. So I've done the legwork for the poor folks. They can have it, and I've given them a guide and a roadmap. Well, that's excellent. And again... The book is The Ass Backwards. I feel so uncomfortable saying that on the air. The, <laughs> <laughs> the Ass Backwards Way to Move Forward, uh, a tongue-in-cheek guide to poverty and misery. How can people get the book? Because I recommend they read it. Oh, the book is on Amazon. Um, you can obviously search it by title or you could search it by my name, Celeste Duffy, but it's available now on Amazon.com. Okay, and, and lastly, um, I know people have gotten wind of it. Uh, have you had any negative backlash from people that, you know, don't like, necessarily like what you wrote? So far, the, the reaction has been very positive, very positive. I have not had um, negative uh, backlash. I know, like I said, there are some people that um, the go to college um, chapter and, and some of the other chapters that might give people a little bit of pause. But when they read on, they go, I do see your point. Okay. So it's it's really been well, overwhelmingly positive. Well, well, wait until MSNBC finds out about it. That'll change okay. quickly. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the ask backwards way to move forward, Celeste Duffy. It's been a long time since you and I spoke on the air. Thank you for joining me today, and uh, we will talk again very soon. 
I hope so. Thank you. This has been great fun, and uh, I appreciate uh, the opportunity uh, to come on the show. All right. Talk to you soon, dear. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Celeste Duffy, The Ass Backwards Way to Move Forward. You got to read this book. It's, it's probably like 128 pages. It's it's very funny. Sounds like a good book. It is. It's very funny. Um, I'm having fun today, and I get a little sad when it gets close. I have like an hour left here. Uh, but again, I'm Khalid Namara in for Bob France so Always Right Radio. Hang around. We got a little bit more uh, fun in store for you. Coming up, stick around. Right Radio on The Answer. Back on Always Right Radio. Khalid Namar. In for Bob France. One of my favorite, favorite old school groups. I, you know what? True story. I, and call me naive. I didn't know what a doobie was until I got like to be in my 20s. I did not know. Really? I, th- I thought that they were called the doobies because they like harmonized. I, <laughs> <laughs> that's a true story. I, I harmonized with something. <laughs> yeah, never mind you. They, they had a picture of their big joint on the cover of the album. <laughs> I really did not know that like, oh, that's what a doobie is. Anyway, uh, I, I was a little naive when it came to that stuff. <laughs> Great group. They came through a uh, month ago. Oh, they did? Yeah, Blossom. Yeah, this shows you what I've been doing. I just told you out the loop. I saw Michael McDonald at uh, uh, Kane Park about five years ago, six years ago. But uh, I, I love this guy. I listen to him a lot. Hi, Marcy. Welcome. <laughs> so, look, we got, we got some things going on out here. Um, it, again, I want to remind people, go to the BuckeyeBlueprint.com uh, website. Sign the petition for the for the for the backpack bill we've got to uh, push this for the school choice uh education freedom americans for prosperity is really pushing that ezra escadero who was on our first hour talked a lot about that sign the petition um in the next segment i got uh dave freeman coming up at convention of states he's got a two thing or two to say about uh the convention of states and we got some really solid people out there trying to make positive change in, in our state you know, uh, we got Tim Hess, who's running for uh, common police court judge. So, you know, I, I, I've gotten to know these people is solid and, and they're, they're really trying to get in here and do the right thing and change things around. So Tim Hess, uh, we got uh, Landry Simmons running for state Senate. And then, you know, Keith Davey in District 13, uh, you know, know him well. Good, solid man uh, over in the Lakewood area, uh, District 13. So Keith Davey, you know, he's doing some great things out there. I've been to a couple of his events. Uh, I've had a breakfast with the uh, man. He's awesome. And I, I really like him a lot. So uh, we're just trying to get the right people in the office. And then we got Jolene Austin running uh, as well. So these are people who are really going to change things. Um, and there's a solid, solid folks. So if you if you see them, support them because uh, they're very good people. Uh, so we're going to be coming back with Dave Freeman, who is 
the uh, regional director here in Ohio for the Convention of States. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that and some things that are coming up with him at the Lorraine County Fair, trying to push the, this Convention of States through uh, Ohio so we can try to get control of the government. Some people don't like it, as our previous guest, Steve Kraus. So uh, we'll, we'll let him respond and uh, talk about what he's doing with the Convention of States here in Ohio. So we'll be talking to him next hour. So just hang around. We got a little more fun for you. Always right radio on the answer. Go back. Always right radio. Khalid Namar. I'm having fun, and this is time where we run down the home stretch. We're gonna be here another ooh, less than an hour, so I'm gonna make the best of it, right, Johnny? Yes, sir. Good so, show so far. something we do at the end of the week here on Always Right Radio. Bob usually does a weekend review, so you get to see. What the week was like. Pretty interesting week. Take it away, Johnny. Always right radio. Week in review. All right, Khalid. This is the week in review where we um, we run through the best interviews of the week uh, so far, just in case you missed them. We bring you the best parts so you can get a good gist of what happened throughout the week, maybe catch something you missed. First up, we have Congressman Jim Jordan, somebody that uh, I think should be Speaker of the House. What do you think about that? I love him. I met him a couple of times. People love him here in Ohio. Terrific guy. guy. I wish he could be. He's a fighter. Oh, that would save everything, I'll tell you. Well, uh, Friday, the vote happened. That We all knew that was going to happen, uh, thanks to West Virginia's Joe Manchin caving. And uh, finally, President <laughs> Biden uh, signed this terrible monstrosity into law. Uh, Bob asked Congressman Jordan Monday, what is the biggest issues with his in uh, Congressman Jordan? <laughs> I mean, it, look, it's all bad in, in, in the climate change element, and, uh, the, um, uh, the but but the big the tax increases, the fact that it's going to increase inflation, not reduce inflation. But the biggest thing is, is these thousands and thousands of agencies who are going to harass American taxpayers, harass middle class business owners, middle class families. And I use this example on the floor. I, you know who they're coming after. They're coming, it, it, this is the typical family. It, it's the it's the assistant football coach at the local high school who's busting his tail every day helping his students and student athletes. Who in the summertime has a side business to to you know put away some money for his kids and their college fund. He's got a side business cutting grass, painting houses, paying his taxes. They're going to come after him. They're going to say, "Oh, this guy's got this side operation business here. Let's go investigate him." And they're going to harass this guy who was simply busting his tail. And as I said on the House floor on Friday. The people who will be harassing him, they'll be using his tax money to come after him, the taxpayer. They're going to be working remote. They're going to be drinking their fancy coffee from their home in northern Virginia, harassing the assistant football coach who is working hard. That's who they're coming after, and that's what makes this so so just disgusting. And, and you know, like potentially 87,000 of these people. So that's the problem. Um, that I hate most about this bill. Nancy Pelosi said this about the fact that no Republicans voted for this bill, uh, that Republicans voted against Mother Earth, 
uh, voted against lowering prescription drug costs, lowering health care costs, reducing the deficit, and, quote, paid for to lower inflation to save the planet. Um, so, I mean, take take as many of those as you wish, but I mean, well, you know, they, they they lump all of these things together uh, yeah. in one bill. Obviously, this giant reconciliation, and and they and then they want to paint you as being you know somehow against lowering yeah. prescription drug prices. Well, I mean, it's, they just want to laugh. Like, what are they talking about? Like, the, the Inflation Reduction Act spends a bunch of money, and, and that's going to reduce inflation. Oh, but, and oh, by the way, I thought just last week Joe Biden announced inflation was zero. If inflation was zero, like he said from the from the podium in the in the in the briefing room, if inflation is zero, why did you need the Inflation Reduction Act? For goodness' sake! So, like, this is this inflation, so-called Inflation Reduction Act, is going to increase inflation. It's, the Inflation Reduction Act is going to raise taxes, and the Inflation Reduction Act is going to unleash thousands and thousands of bureaucrats to harass you, the taxpayer. Such a deal. that If she wants to talk about that, okay, fine. Let's go. Run. We're going to have an election in 80-some days. Let's see what the American people decide when they look at what you just passed and where things are in this country. Let, let, let's, let's see what happens. But no, no one with common sense believes that garbage that they're, they're, they're telling the country that, that, that this bill is about. Representative Richard Neal made a statement last week. He's a Democrat. He said, we, the Democrats, will raise corporate and individual tax rates next year. That's a a direct quote. We will do this, announcing we're going to raise your taxes. How can any American, Democrat, Republican, or Independent, look at that and say, I want the Democrats to retain power. I want to see my taxes go up next year. I want to see everything that I pay for go up next year. They're promising they're going to do it. That's who I want to vote for. Yeah, and remember, this is not just any Democrat. This is the guy who runs the Ways and Means Committee. I mean, this is this is like this, that's the committee that writes the tax law. So, I mean, like this is this is pretty big stuff when they're announcing if you keep them in control, get ready, there are going to be more tax increases coming. And these eighty-seven thousand agents, there's no way to get rid of them. But the Democrats are in power; they will be out there harassing you to get more of your money. So they're going to first raise your taxes, then they're going to send out agents to harass you to get make sure you paid every single penny that the big government wants you as an American citizen to give to them. That is that that is frightening stuff. And you couple that with what we've seen from the Justice Department and the political operation of that place, that's what this election's about. Ultimately when you boil it down, all these issues are important. But in the end, that's what it's about, the power that they want in DC to take your money and to run your life. All right, Clee. Also on Monday, we talked to Newsweek's Josh Hammer. Josh is a very astute, intelligent, and nationally renowned journalist. Bob and Josh Hammer talked and gave some more in-depth analysis on the Mar-a-Lago raid. Uh, but more specifically, Josh had some very interesting things to say about the history of warrants and general warrants, going all the way back to the American Revolution and why the founders found it extremely important to make sure the Fourth Amendment, which protects people, from unreasonable searches and seizures by the government was ratified. You know, if you go back to the 1760s and the 1770s, you know, it's funny, on a personal side, I actually, I was up in Boston, Massachusetts about nine or ten days ago. I went to the went to the Boston Tea Party reenactment. It's, it's quite a fun activity if you're there in the Boston area. You know, you kind of, you see the people dressed up, and you throw the tea to kind of protest the British crown's excesses against me, the people. Around that time, when the people of Boston, Massachusetts, were throwing that tea into Boston Harbor, one of their leading grievances, and they wrote this down right in the Declaration of Independence. You can read it right there. One of their leading grievances was the so-called general warrant 
which was exactly what it sounded like. It was a non-specific warrant that was found, that was signed off by British magistrates and executed by you know loyal foot soldiers to the British monarch. And it basically allowed these soldiers in the American colonies to go into your home and rummage around for whatever the heck they wanted to. In fact, the reason, the very reason that the U.S. Bill of Rights ratified in 1791 has the Fourth Amendment with its protection against unreasonable searches and seizures, it is literally there to prevent exactly the sort of so-called general warrants that it looks an awful lot like this warrant that Judge Reinhardt executed on Mar-a-Lago last Monday. You know, it, it looks a lot like that kind of general warrant. By the way, you know, on a similar kind of note with the Biden Justice Department, the Biden FBI, I would say what happened to my friend John Eastman uh, with respect to when his cell phone was seized, um, you know, by the Fed out of New Mexico, I think it was about a, month, a couple months ago, maybe it was in May or June, he went on Tucker Carlson's show to talk about the warrant that he saw, that, that he was served with, and he described it in exactly the same way. John was on Tucker's show saying this is extremely general. It was not specific in what they were looking for. It was allowing them kind of full, wide-ranging, roving, plenary ability to just acquire whatever they wanted to acquire. You know, I'm not a criminal procedure lawyer. I, I, I did take criminal procedure at law school class. I, this strikes me as pretty unconstitutional, as almost assuredly unconstitutional based on what I have seen thus far. This is just not the kind of warrant that is permissible under our Fourth Amendment. So, you know, uh, I think what you see here is what you get. It seems to me that the Federalist has this story right. It's really, it, it just makes a bad story even worse, though, honestly. All right, that was some great stuff from Josh Hammer. And finally, last but last, not least on Monday, we talked to GOP Senate candidate J.D. Vance. Bob and J.D. talked about, once again, the biggest news of the week, the Inflation Production Act, which is what we like to call it around here. The Inflation Production Act. Uh, Bob asked J.D. how Democrats like Joe Manchin and Tim Ryan, which is uh, J.D.'s opponent, uh, you know, can can run around like some um, independent and moderate Democrats and then turn around and vote for this, you know, terrible, destructive piece of legislation. (laughs) Take it away, J.D. (laughs) Yeah, and Tim Ryan, of course, parades around Ohio as some sort of independent, but when the people of Ohio really needed him, it was on this bill. And what he did instead is bent the knee to Pelosi and Joe Biden, as he always does, because he votes with them 100% of the time. Uh, and and I, I can't believe that a guy who's if he has a signature campaign promise, if Tim Ryan has talked about anything in the last two years, it's been that he wants a middle class tax cut. And yet he supports a bill that increases taxes on the middle class and, in fact, hires 87,000 IRS agents to harass middle class workers and small businesses all across our state. It, it's just an unbelievable, fraudulent move from a guy who pretends to be one thing but is actually a Nancy Pelosi Democrat when he goes to represent the people of Ohio and Washington. The thing that really gets me about it is that in the midst of a historic inflation crisis, the beginning of an economic recession that I fear is going to get worse, the Democrats have settled upon an economic policy that basically gives Tim Ryan's wealthy donors tax credits to buy electric vehicles. And where are those electric vehicles manufactured China? Where are the materials that go into those electric vehicles mined China, why are we spending the American people's tax dollars in the midst of this inflation crisis to subsidize the Chinese economy all in the name of green energy? That's not what the American people signed up for with Joe Biden. That's certainly not what Tim Ryan has promised the people of Ohio that he would stand up for. So I think that's probably the thing that bothers me the most is this isn't about reducing inflation. 
This isn't about giving people in Ohio or anywhere else some economic relief. This is about paying homage to the green energy obsession of the Democratic Party. And it's going to make us all poorer. It's going to make our country weaker. And it's going to make the Chinese much better off. That's not a bill that any of us should be supporting, no matter how, uh, no matter how liberal or conservative we are. That was J.D. Vance. And we're going to fast forward to Thursday now so we can get David Freeman in here from Convention of States after Friday or Thursday. We got Grover Norquist, who's always awesome, president oh, yeah. for uh, Americans for Tax Reform. Um, they talked about this Inflation Production Act, you know, which the Democrats are now calling the Climate, Health Care, and Tax Spending Bill. <laughs> Who saw that coming? <laughs> Bob asked Grover for his intelligent conservative opinion on the Dems' new bill and especially about the 87,000 new IRS agents and the hundreds of thousands of rounds of ammunition being allocated to the IRS agents. Yeah, just in case. Yes. Take it away, Grover. It's not hundreds of thousands of rounds of ammunition. It's five million that they have at the IRS. What in the world do they plan to do with five million rounds of ammunition? And your point that the IRS in living memory, okay? I mean, they, they did bad things going way back when. Uh, they audited Richard Nixon every year between when he ran in 60 and when he came back in 68. Uh, Kennedy and Johnson had him audited every year, just, you know, by random, of course. Uh, and they went after, the LB, the FDR went after his enemies and had them audited. You don't have to do anything wrong for an audit to damage your business, to damage your reputation, to eat up your time, to make you hire lawyers uh, and eat up money. And one of the reasons some of the people who testified back in the 1990s hearings, because Clinton was abusing uh, the IRS, uh, one of the things that comes that came out of that is that um, people were, were hit with right-of-center structures were hit, and the auditing was done. They didn't find anything. There's nothing wrong. But, you know, they have an auditor live inside your office for months and months and months. People had the IRS follow them and go after them for years. And, by the way, they never tell you everything's done. They just leave at some point after, you know, costing you time, money, energy. One Democratic senator said one of the most disgusting things, that if you're honest, you, you don't need to worry about more IRS agents doing audits. Well, you know, that's like saying only criminals need the, 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 tenement, the constitutional amendments, the Bill of Rights. We all need them, particularly innocent people need them, um, for crying out loud. And the fact that they can audit anyone they want and choose. I served on the Commission on Restructuring the IRS, which is a congressional commission put together at uh, as a result of those hearings and so on. And I asked the head of the IRS, I said, uh, my friends on the left tell me that none of them are being audited. The Heritage, uh, NRA, all these conservative groups are being audited. Why are you auditing based on political worldview? Oh, no, we have this algorithm, and, it, and it's completely fair and independent. I said, great, let's see it. Oh, it's a secret. You'll have to trust us. And that, that was That's... the sum total of the conversation. How can auditing ever, ever be considered constitutional when we have a Fourth Amendment? Well, you really need to, they make a lot of leeway. Courts give a lot of leeway to the IRS. If you wanted an institution that could give you control over people's lives, don't choose the FBI because they have to, they have to go to court to get permission to the IRS. Lot less limitations. Courts are much more deferential to IRS abuses than to 
police or FBI agents. Beware of the IRS. Watch your cash apps on your Venmos. They're coming. Oh, that's true. That's no joke. That means you lemonade stand, kids. (laughs) This has been your Always Right Radio Week in Review. We'll be right back. All right, we're back for our final segment on Always Right Radio. I am Khalid Namar. I've been sitting in for Bob France all day, and I'm loving it. Spinning around in the big chair. Studio staff is great here. I'm having a lot of fun. They take good care of me here. We try. <laughs> you do. <laughs> So, convention of the states. You heard uh, our guest earlier, Steve Krause, uh, express opposition to convention of the states, which is based on Article Five of the Constitution on how to change uh, or amend the Constitution. It's a controversial subject. There is a, m- a national movement called the Convention of States movement. Several states, I think, fifteen states, have signed on. Ohio is not one of them. And there's uh, groups in Ohio and volunteers trying to do something about it. One of them is on the line. His name is Dave Freeman. He is a district captain uh, for uh, in Ohio for Convention of States. And his name's Freeman. I mean, come on. Uh, how apropos is that? Uh, <laughs> how are you, Dave? Well, I want to say thank you for the roller coaster ride today. Um, I know the intention is to having fun all day, but between Celeste Duffy and Star Parker and Steve Krause and the issues of 5 million ammos being released to the IRS, <laughs> I'm all over the place. Yeah, we, we try to make you laugh and cry on this show. <laughs> oh, my God. Put me on a firm foundation, please. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. So the Convention of States, uh, tell us about it. Uh, I know about it. Many of our listeners know about it, but there are some who don't. Okay. It's it's the genius of Article 5. And what I mean by that is Article 5 is genius by its simplicity. There isn't any uh, hidden agendas behind it. It's pretty straightforward. The language, Convention of States, is pulled right out of Clause 2 of Article 5. It says specifically um, Convention of States. It's right there. And so what happens in relative to the process is, you know, the, the people uh, sponsor a resolution to their individual state. And every state that has passed it has used the same model. And 19 states have used exactly the same language, exactly the same purpose, and they have put safeguards in there to prevent uh, issues from becoming tangential, okay? So it's, it's very specific, specific to three things. We have term limits, we have fiscal responsibility, and we have uh, limiting federal overreach. And based on the commentary of many of your guests, I think we're all in agreement on that. I think we all need to uh, rein in what's going on in our country. And how do we find our place 
uh, that we find ourselves today. It's because we're doing the same thing and expect different results. We keep, we keep thinking that, okay, if we only elect this person, that's going to change things. Well, the Convention of States, specifically Article 5, gives us an opportunity to change the structure of the way government works. And then when you elect people and put them in that structure, we get different results. And that's the intent behind Convention of States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, one of the... Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, it, there's some challenges, though. And one of the common challenges is when the uh, original Constitutional Convention was formed, it was only, you know, meant to amend the Articles of Confederation, and it went off the rails from there. How do you respond to that challenge? Well, we can go to the original uh, Constitutional Convention, and I ask those people, why? hey, why stop there? Why not go back to the Mayflower Compact? You know, not everybody agreed with that, and that, and and that, not everybody agreed with it. But the simplicity again of Article Five is very clear. There is no ambiguity, and you have uh, requirements for the the states themselves to see a specific application. They rule on it. They pass it. That moves uh, the needle forward. Once we get thirty-four of the states. Now, think about what I'm saying. 34 of 50 states are going to have to say, okay, what are the chances of things going awry when the states, 34 of them, approve? So once we get to 34, there is a convention called. At the convention, um, there's proposals um, written, written that are very specific to and are limited to the three okay. items that I mentioned. Okay, so I'm going I'm gonna to st- I'm, I'm hold you right there. We have okay. some more time on the other side. Uh, we're talking to Dave Freeman, the uh, District Captain of the Convention of States. Uh, we'll be back on the other side to continue the conversation. Khalid Namar and for Bob France. Stick around. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. We're back live, Khalid Namar. Always Right Radio. Sitting in for Bob France, and this is the last segment. We are with Dave Freeman, Metro States District Captain. So, Dave, um... The Rolling Stone Dave Freeman just... <laughs> <laughs> that is your era, definitely. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> what What are the three uh, major topics of of the Convention of States? For instance, how constrained is it to 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 run off the rails when you're talking well, about only proposing again, three resolutions? Once a, uh, you know, once a proposal is uh, validated and leaves the convention itself. It goes back to the states themselves to be ratified. Now, 38 states have to ratify it in order for them to become an amendment. So that, number one, is a a pretty solid safeguard. And I would, uh, because I know we're restricted on time, I would invite uh, everybody listening to this program to come down to the Lorain County Fair. Uh, We have a booth there. We have people that are 
uh, excited to talk to the general public about the Convention of States itself and what it can do for them, and specifically Ohio. We have had uh, two uh, pretty serious uh, hearings before the Ohio Senate, and in both cases, uh, the senators were telling us how tired they are of suing the federal government. And that essentially is giving us momentum to move the needle forward. And you know, you know when you're doing well and you're over the target when the mainstream media starts taking shots at you and uh, emails sent out by organizations like Common Cause, which is a Soros uh, organization, uh, sending an email to all of its membership saying, we have no choice but to immediately step up our grassroots response to defeat this effort. So, you know, if, if you... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.